You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. Last week, we took an in-depth look at the crucifixion of Christ, the medical aspects of the crucifixion. Uh, so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to, uh, to get into that study, to listen to that study. Powerful. It's a powerful read. It's a powerful uh, uh, thing to look at. And uh, three weeks ago, or maybe it was a month ago now, was Easter Sunday when we took an in-depth look at the resurrection and how it's the best proved fact in history. And so I definitely encourage you to get on calvarycryptcounty.com, download that, or just listen to it streaming online, and own the resurrection. Because, man, the, the resurrection is such an incredible tool for us in the community to tell people about Jesus and to prove that he's God and not just some man. And so you got to promise me, if you weren't here on Easter, uh, that you'll go and listen to that study or come and have us make a CD for you. And so today I'm looking forward to not just uh, looking at proof of the resurrection and all the evidence, but I look forward to walking through the gospel accounts of the resurrection. <clears throat> you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you know, Paul says that, if the resurrection did not take place, then we of all men are the most pitiable. There's no hope of an afterlife. We're wasting our time here because Jesus is dead in the ground. And since he, he, he staked all of his claims to be absolute deity on him rising from the dead, if he's not risen from the dead, then he's a liar He's a charlatan and a madman or a lunatic, and he's not Lord if he's dead in the ground right now in Jerusalem. But if he's alive, then all of his promises are true for us. And there's a certain expectation of glory with him as well as a certain expectation of judgment from him for those who reject and are disobedient to the gospel. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is, is a pillar in understanding the importance of the resurrection, and it's all in the study from Easter morning. Today we're going to just look at the account of after the cross. And so verse 50 says, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. So here we see a man, an awesome man. I want you to take your pen. I want you to underline the characteristics of this man. Joseph of Arimathea. He was a prominent council member. We just read council member here, but the other gospels say he was a prominent council member of the Sanhedrin who called out for the crucifixion of Jesus. We studied last week that they shouted out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. He's innocent. I wash my hands of this man's death. And they said, let his blood be on our head and on our children's head. And crazy to think Joseph of Arimathea was in that bunch, yet not of that bunch. He was there and he wasn't just, you know, the rookie little council member who, you know, the youngin who don't, don't say anything, don't talk unless talk to or whatever. He was normally a prominent council member. We notice that he was a good man. That's nice to read, isn't it? He's a good man. 
He's a just man. And because he was good and just, he'd not consented to the decision and the deed of the death of Jesus. Matthew tells us he was a rich man and that he owned the garden that Jesus would be buried in. We read here in Luke that he was doing something we all should be doing and that he was waiting for the kingdom. Waiting for the kingdom of God. We're reminded of the verse, you know, that we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to us. Man, if we would just love the Lord our God with all our heart and our mind and our strength, then man, we'd fulfill the law. It's all about loving Jesus. It's all about being consumed by Jesus. You want victory in your life over this area or this sin or this habit or this temptation? Are you loving Jesus? No, I mean, are you loving Jesus? Love him. Worship him. Adore him. And all these things will be added to you as you're seeking him first. John 19 tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus but that he was a secret disciple because he was afraid of the Jews. And so as you look here, we see him stepping up to the plate. In verse 52, this man, Joseph, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So normally, this guy's a secret disciple. You know, he, he was afraid of the Jews. He was hanging out with the Jews in the Sanhedrin. He knew their hatred for Jesus. They knew how they wagged their head and shrugged their shoulders about Jesus and shot out the lip, as the psalmist says, about Jesus. And so while he was kind of a coward during Jesus' life, we see that at his death, he became brave and he became bold. And it must have been a bit scary to go into Pontius Pilate, who had just condemned Jesus to death, and to go in and to ask for the body of this Jesus. But Mark tells us that Joseph took courage, whatever that means. Some of you guys have, in your life, you, you've had to take courage and, all right, be brave, you know, and just went in and boldly asked for the body of Jesus. Now, crucifixion, sometimes it lasted three days, you know, and it wasn't the end of the humiliation. The death wasn't the end of the humiliation Three days it took for a person to die at the cross at, at times. The real humiliation for the Romans that they loved, they loved to watch people humiliated, was when the people died on the crosses out there in the public streets, and then they began to rot on the cross. And then the wild beasts would come at night and begin eating the flesh of the people, and then the bones and the decay and all of that stuff, as the hanging naked corpse was there, that was all part of the humiliation. And Joseph knew, I don't want that to happen to Jesus. I want to I take that body down. I want to take care of that body. And it was up to the governing official's mercy of whether or not this body would be taken down. And so this guy had to be brave. This was a huge petition to go into Pontius and to ask for this thing. But I love that we see him bold here. I love that we see him take courage and man up. You remember a few weeks ago we studied... Peter and Peter's denial. Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not going to deny you. In fact, I'm going to die for you. I'll go to prison for you. No, 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 no. No, Peter. You're going to deny me. In fact, three times the rooster's going to crow before you deny me. Oh, no, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. 
And as Peter followed Jesus, once Jesus was arrested, he followed him into Caiaphas's front yard, the outer courts of Caiaphas's house. And there around the, the, there's a little bonfire in the yard. People were sitting there. We know Peter denied him three times, cursing and hollering. And I told you I didn't know him and blankety blank and curse that man. I don't know him, whoever he is. It says that the third time Luke's gospel tells us the third time the denial happened, Peter looked over and saw Jesus and Jesus looked over and saw Peter and their eyes met. And we just talked about about three weeks ago how It wasn't a condemning look that Jesus gave Peter, but there was a look of love there. And there was something in that moment with Peter that he remembered for the rest of his life what it felt like to deny Christ. He remembered for the rest of his life what those eyes looked into him across the courtyard. And there was something in Peter that said, I failed big time. And so it doesn't depend on me anymore. It depends on the Holy Spirit. But Lord, help me. I will never deny you again. And that denial account where Jesus' eyes met his, coupled with seeing Jesus alive from the grave, coupled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that gives us boldness to be witnesses, let Peter be a prominent church leader and eventually give his life upside down on an X-shaped cross outside of Rome. And so something happened in Peter that through his denial, boldness was brought. Never wanting to hurt Jesus in that way again. Never wanting to see that look from Jesus of of hurt again. And so similarly, we have Joseph of Arimathea here, who had been a secret disciple, in a sense, denying Jesus. Jesus says, you're either for me or you're against me. And right now, this guy was a secret disciple, hidden in the crowd, not letting anybody know. But at this point, he says, you know what? I hid my discipleship while he was alive. I will by no means hide it now that I saw what he went through for me. Mark chapter 15, verse 44. And you might just right now at the beginning of the study, you're like, this is the beginning? Yeah, well, pretty much. Uh, Just go right now in your Bibles and get a little bookmarks or whatever. You can go to uh, John chapter 19. And just put a bookmark in. And Mark chapter 15, put a bookmark, we know what I mean. And uh, Matthew 28, okay? So just each gospel, just throw it in there at the end of the book. Because we will be, you don't have to flip there, but I'll read it. It just helps, obviously, if you're there. So in Mark 15, verse 44, we see what happened. We see what happened. Man, I love looking at the different accounts here. You know, as as we get into these accounts, we're going to see such detail in every account. And each account doesn't word for word match each other. There would be no need of four different accounts. They were each written to different people for different reasons, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the incredible thing is, is that one account gives more detail on another account than another one does. And, uh, and they don't contradict each other, but rather they expound each other. Just like as if, if we were at a parade. Okay, and some of you were on the north side of the street. Some of you were on the you know the the south side of the street. Some of you were in the parade, and some of you were handing out peanuts at the parade. Whatever, we would all have seen different things in that parade. We would all have had different memories. And well, I didn't see that. Well, it's because you were over there, you know. And and when we bring all of our testimonies together, they show really how great the parade was. Don't ask me why I chose parade, but you know what I mean. Um, okay, now. 
Well, we might, we might touch on that a little bit more later, but in Mark chapter 15, verse 44, we see what Joseph did when he went in and talked to Pilate. Or what happened? It says, Pilate marveled that Jesus was already dead. Sometimes it took three days for the victim to die. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he'd been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen. So Joseph is given the body or granted permission to get the body. And notice verse 46. He did three things. He bought fine linen. What an act of worship. Out of his pocket, he went and bought linen to wrap Jesus in. That's a special thing, a, a cost that it cost him to do. Then we see he did something else that was bold and brave. None of us would have wanted to have been the ones nailing the nail into Jesus' hands. But I would venture to say none of us would have wanted to be the ones that would have taken Jesus' ravaged body off the cross, prying the nails from his hands, from the, the, you know, those big nails from the thick post of the patibulum. None of us would have wanted to do that. And here we see this man becoming so brave for Jesus because he loved Jesus. So he took Jesus off the cross and wrapped him in the linen. Verse 53, or verse, yeah, 53, then he took it down. Notice, uh, it's just a body at this point. It's just a tent. He took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb. By the way, I'm sorry, we're back in Luke 23. Laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever been laid before. John 19 tells us that another man came to help out. A man named Nicodemus. And what do we know about Nicodemus? Most of what we know from Nicodemus is from John chapter 3. It was to Nicodemus that Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only... You know, that was to Nicodemus. But what do we know about Nicodemus? As, as he came and he asked questions about the kingdom, Jesus told him, Assuredly, I say to you that if anyone wants to uh, inherit the kingdom, he has to be born again. But does anybody remember what time of day Nicodemus went and talked to Jesus? It was at night. It was at night because he too was afraid, just like Joseph of Arimathea. It's been said that birds of a feather flock together. And here these two guys are both thinking, we denied him while he was alive and look what he did. We will not deny him since he died. And they became bold and together, uh, John tells us that, uh, that it was Joseph that bought the linen, but Nicodemus got the myrrh and the aloes and these spices, about a hundred pounds of spices he brought to help uh, get Jesus' body ready for burial. It says that there in John's gospel, they bound it in strips with linen and spices. And then it says something about the tomb. So Luke tells us there's a tomb there. It was hewn out of the rock and no one had ever been laid there before. John's gospel tells us that in the place where he was crucified on Golgotha, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So last week, as we studied the crucifixion, we had a picture up on the wall of Golgotha, the place of the skull or Calvary, an awesome place to visit. Uh, and I told you guys that within a stone's throw away, if you were to just 
trans, you know, move a 45 degree angle, you'd be looking at the tomb. In fact, just about where this picture is taken, if you kind of, there's a little hill where this picture is taken, just a little tiny one, and if you just kind of rotate it and look that way, you'd be looking at Golgotha, you'd be looking at the skull, the place of the skull. And so it's incredible to go to Jerusalem, and there's these Christians that own it, that own the garden tomb, and they're just like, who cares if this is the tomb? We worship Jesus, you know? And they're like, yeah, this is, but, but we don't care about that. We love Jesus, not the artifact. And so um, such a special, special place to visit. But we notice that this tomb, it was in a garden. Whose garden was it? It was Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. And as you're there, you'll see that there's a 10,000-gallon cistern uh, in the garden, that they found, and it watered, this water watered this beautiful, huge garden. And nowhere else in the area of Golgotha are there tombs or a garden. Uh, This is it. This is the tomb where Jesus was laying, and nobody else uh, had been buried there. It was a new tomb, hewn out of the rock. Uh, One of the special things, if we can go to the, the next slide, is that inside this tomb... There's a bench that the body would have been laid on. Now, if you were a rich guy and you were making your tomb ready for burial, what would you do? You would measure yourself, right? Rory is six foot four, so when he dies, we need the bench to be six foot four. As you go into this tomb, you can kind of see it on that. There's a, there's a platform there. On the left side, you can see that as they were getting Jesus' body and putting it on the platform, they thought, Joseph of Arimathea... You're shorter than Jesus. He doesn't fit on this platform. Well, move his legs out of the way real quick. Sun's going down. It's almost Sabbath time. And in a hurry, they got their hammer and chisel, and they just kind of knocked out the wall a little bit. They just kind of got a little spot for Jesus' feet to go in and then put a taller man on the bench. It's an incredible find. Now, Rory, why do I tell you, or why do you tell me this? I tell you this because... One of the arguments against the empty tomb, I'm telling you, the empty tomb is an incredible piece of evidence that Jesus is alive. He's not in the tomb. And so the skeptics will say, well, they went to the wrong tomb, you know, or they, they buried Jesus in a different tomb or something like that. And here you can see that someone in this rich man's tomb, the only tomb in the area, laid in this tomb that was taller than the one it was created for. And he's not here now. He's not here now. He's alive. No one had ever been laid there before, as it was the only tomb in the area. And Matthew tells us that after they laid Jesus there in this tomb hewn out of rock, they rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Some say this stone was about two tons. It would have had to have been two tons to fit in the trough that it was rolled down. Uh, in. So this massive stone put in front of the tomb, and then later on we see that it was sealed by uh, Pilate, allowed the guard to seal it and to uh, put a guard around this giant stone at the tomb. Now before we move on in the Revelation accounts, I want to look at Joseph and Nicodemus again. How these two men that previously had been afraid to be disciples uh, because of the Jewish Jewish persecution, how all of a sudden they, they came out and they were bold and they were brave. There's three things I want to look at in these guys. We know that they were rich, okay? And something we can see about Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection is that it reaches out 
as good news known as the gospel, and it touches both the rich and the poor. Something we know about Luke's gospel is it's constantly talking about how Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came for those that are sinners. He came for those, and he's hanging out with those that are poor. And sometimes we get on that hype of things and think that he doesn't love the rich. Well, the thing is, is he loves the rich too. He's no respecter of person. And it's just as good of news to a man like Joseph of Arimathea to hear about saving grace as it is to a woman in a well caught at adultery, finding love in all the wrong places. We also see through Joseph and Nicodemus finally coming and being brave that not everyone arrives as others do at the place of bold discipleship. We think everybody's got to be at the same level as me and everyone's got to be as on fire as I am. And yes, we want them to be, but it's some people it takes a little longer. Some people struggle. Some people doubt. Some people have fear. And so, you know, there's a different rate of sanctification. Not everybody moves at the same pace. But thirdly, nobody can remain a secret disciple indefinitely. You cannot be a coward, cowardly Christian for the rest of your life. It's just not possible. It's just not possible. Those words can't go together. We must take a stand for what we believe in at some point. If you really love Jesus, if you really understand what he went through on the cross, if you really believe that he's not dead in a tomb somewhere in Jerusalem, but that he's rose from the dead in victory and power and he's coming back and he's going to set up his kingdom in glory and honor, then you cannot be afraid to tell people about Jesus. You just can't stay that way. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 tells us that the cowardly will have no part in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, the new earth. But rather, they will have their part in the lake of fire. I love hearing about bold people for Jesus. Some of you have read Revelation chapter 2 and the letters to the seven churches. And there's a church there called Smyrna that gets a letter. And Smyrna represents the persecuted church. In fact, the word Smyrna, it's the root word myrrh, or has that root word myrrh, which is a burial spice, a burial oil that comes from the crushing of the bark of the acacia tree. And it's incredible that that name was given to the persecuted church because the persecuted church was going through crushing for Jesus. And a burial scent was coming off of them as a church. And so in Revelation chapter 2, you read the statement, to the angel or pastor in the church of Smyrna. There's a man named Polycarp who was the pastor in the church in Smyrna. And actually, John appointed him, the apostle John appointed him as pastor. Now, Polycarp was a pastor in the time when the Romans were really persecuting the Christians. And it was a scary thing to be a Christian and to, to, be a Christian and to stand up for Jesus. And there was a period in Polycarp's life where the Romans were out for his head. And so he hid in a barn-type structure. Well, one night he had a dream that his pillow caught fire and the fire consumed him. And in the dream, the Lord appeared and said, Polycarp, this is how you're going to die. You're going to die in a fire for the testimony of my name. And so since the Lord had already revealed to him how he died, he went and he turned himself into the Romans. And he said, before you know, I turned myself in, let me make you lunch. 
and he made them lunch, and he just loved on these guys that would take him captive. And then he got in the cart, and he headed towards the Colosseum there in Smyrna, where they would tell him to put a pinch on the altar to Caesar. A one-time pinch on the altar to Caesar, a one-time worship of Caesar, was a a denouncing of Jesus and a loyalty to Caesar statement. And so they're, they're on their way to the amphitheater. And as they're going in, there's a man in chains about to be killed. And he cries out to Polycarp saying, Polycarp, save me. I don't want to die for Jesus. And, and Polycarp said this, I don't want to talk to you. You're not a Christian. And as they went into the uh, amphitheater there, He was called by the governor to put this one-time pinch on the altar of Caesar, of which he refused. Polycarp said, how can I deny him who's been so faithful to me these 86 years? I will never deny Jesus. He was told that if he didn't deny Christ, that they would release the lions. And he answered, then release the lions. Well, instead of releasing the lions, they took him over to a stake that they would burn him at, and they lit the fire of the stake. As the fire began to rise around Polycarp, you could hear singing coming from the flames, people wrote. But the fires were not touching Polycarp. So a soldier thrust a spear into his arm, and blood came spurting out, putting out the fire. At that point, the governor said, Polycarp, obviously God has spared you, Just put the pinch on the altar. I don't want to have to restart the flames. Polycarp said, you threaten me with a fire that can burn but an hour. You are in danger of the fire that will burn for eternity. So the governor relit the fire and Polycarp died. You guys, this is a Christian. Christians are not afraid to tell people they know and love Jesus. In fact, Polycarp heard the man on the brink of denying Christ and saying, I don't know that I love him that much. Well, then you're not a Christian. (laughs) Because Christians are not cowards. Now, it's not in and of ourselves that we have to muster up some strength and be bold and be brave. But it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're all, just like Peter, denying Christ three times. We're all concerned about protecting our family and not wanting to see them die for the name of Christ. But Jesus says, and we'll get there in, I don't know, two or three weeks, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll receive a power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses, or the word is martyrs for me, all throughout the world. It's not about you. It's about what the Holy Spirit's doing in you. A true Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him or her, as well as the Holy Spirit continually baptizing them and pouring himself out on them so that they will be brave proclaimers of Jesus. And maybe today you're in the place of Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus. And you're afraid. You're afraid to lose your job if you talk about Jesus. You're afraid to get mocked. You're afraid that someone will have questions that you won't be able to answer. Guys, that's nothing. In fact, Jesus tells us, just go ahead and open up your mouth and I'll be faithful to bring the words. Christians can't be cowards. And it's so encouraging to see men that are just like us, with natures just like us, who hid in a barn. But when the Holy Spirit came upon them, 
They weren't afraid to be martyrs. And so they went and they took down Jesus off the cross. Verse 55, and the women there in Luke 23, the women who'd come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how the body was laid. One of the skeptic, you know, one of the arguments that the skeptics used to explain away the empty tomb and the resurrection was that the women just went to the wrong tomb. You know, we all know women in their direction taken, you know, they just can't do it. It's actually the opposite, we all know. But um but here we see, you know, that it's the only tomb in the immediate area, and that these women who weren't dodos, you know, that's a different lady in scripture, um, literally. Um, they weren't, you know. Boy, here we are, just hanging out, you know. No, they were there, they understood what was going on, and they were part of what was going on. And they observed, as they were waiting, they observed everything about the tomb. They observed the tomb, they observed, you know, they probably watched them chiseling out that part of the wall because the body wouldn't fit. They observed, you know, in fact, we're going to see that the... um, Joseph and Nicodemus, they wrap the body all up in the spices and the linens. And we see that the ladies go back to get more linens and spices because apparently the guys didn't do a good enough job, you know. And so they knew what was going on. They are intelligent women who knew what was happening. And when you guys wait around, I mean, my poor wife waits around for me all the time, just waits and waits and waits on me. You guys have all had to wait in a doctor's office or whatever. What do you do? Man, you know, you look at the artwork on the walls, you know, the magazines that they've got in the collection, you know, what this receptionist looks like or whatever. When we wait, we observe. These women knew what tomb to go to, and there was no other tomb. Uh, it's an important fact of the resurrection there. Uh, Matthew also tells us that uh, these women ended up finally sitting down and waiting. They sat down opposite the tomb. So they spent some good time there as the body was prepared and finally buried. Verse 56, Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. So the women go back and get more spices, more fragrant oils. And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Who knows what kind of rest they actually got there. On the Sabbath. We know at the same time this is happening, Matthew 27, verse 62, says, On the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He's risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So a two-ton stone rolled in front of the tomb. Conspiracy theorists out there thinking, Someone's going to come steal the body or something. And then that name about Jesus is going to be worse than it was when Jesus was here. All right, we'll put a guard around. Put your Navy SEAL SWAT team around it. Guard the tomb. Let nothing happen to it. Okay? And so that's how it was when the women left that day. That's how it was when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea left that day. Chapter 24, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices 
which they had preserved. So it was the first day of the week. It was a Sunday morning, and it was very early in the morning. One of the awesome proofs of the resurrection of Jesus is that the church began meeting on Sunday. You've got a whole bunch of loyal Jews that always met on the Sabbath because it's what the law said. All of a sudden, changing their meeting day to a Sunday. And why would they do that? Because it's the day that the Lord rose. So they took these spices that they prepared. In verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 3, says that the women, as they were walking to the tomb, they were wondering, who's going to roll this big old heavy stone away from the tomb so that we can get in and put these spices on? You know, can't you just picture them saying that? Well, we got all that. What are we going to do once we get there? I don't know. Just trust, you know. And so as they go, they looked up and they saw the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. The language there suggests that the stone had been tossed away. And as the stone is tossed away, you know, the women are thinking, who is it that could be here so early in the morning? The sun is just rising. Who besides us would even care? Who is here? And Matthew tells us that there had been a great earthquake during the resurrection. And then an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back or threw back the stone from the door and then he sat on it. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This is incredible writing here. I mean, last night, I'm going to bed and I'm listening to teachings on MP3 in my bed. Just go to bed listening to what I'm teaching on the next day. Maybe I'll learn something. I don't know. You know? And as I'm listening, this pastor is just reading the different gospel accounts. That's what I went to bed with last night. And I just came alive in my bed just Wow, this is incredible. You know, I'm laying there and just the images and the women coming and I've been to the tomb and so I know what the smell and the sight and, you know, the inside of the tomb feels like. And so I'm just like, this happened. This happened. An angel came from heaven and threw the stone away and then he sat on it, you know. (laughs) What were these women going through when they saw this stuff? Oh, goodness. I couldn't go to sleep for a while last night. I mean, I was just so excited about the different accounts here. You know, Matthew tells us that this angel, his countenance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. And when it happened, the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Imagine what these guards had seen. They're sitting there at the tomb with their spears and, you know, a couple of them are sleeping, a couple of them are standing guard. And boom, you know, two-ton rock thrown away, angels sitting there hanging out on the rock, you know. And they were so terrified, they became like dead men. And while these these guards were terrified, shaking in the knees, uh, the women came and the angel just immediately says, Hey, don't be afraid, gals. Don't be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen. Hey, come, look at the place where the Lord lay. And he takes the girls in and he shows them the same bench that I showed you guys. Look at where he was. But he's not here anymore because he's risen. You know, and so as you look at the different accounts, you can just see how out the order of things. And you can start putting, I tried to put the order together the best I could, but you guys will have to put the order of all the resurrection accounts in your mind. 
So they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And Luke tells us, verse 3, that they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, I mean, imagine if this was, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and they bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? These women should have known that Jesus was going to be alive. Why are you even here? Why are you at this, uh, at this tomb? Verse, <coughs> verse 6, he's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. I mean, this is just... This is stuff they knew. This is stuff that Jesus said multiple times on on the road to Jerusalem. He was always telling them, guys, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. But don't worry, on the third day, I'll rise again. He didn't just say that one time. He said that multiple times and multiple times. And the word says that they just didn't understand what he was saying. I do not understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. You know, they just don't get it. You know, he says, why are you seeking the dead among the living? Don't you remember he said that he would rise from the dead? And verse 8, then they remembered his words. That would have been the first thing that I would have uh, remembered as he was dying was, well, he said he would die. And so next comes three days and then he's going to rise from the dead. I say that. Of course, that's not the case. I would have been just as forgettable as everybody else. But when they quoted that word of Jesus to them, light bulb on top of their head, all of a sudden, they remembered. And they returned from the tomb, and they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, some of the different accounts here. Matthew 28, verse 9. As they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them. So, Mark's gospel says that at first they were afraid to go tell anybody, and then they were so they were fearful and afraid and, and joyful at the same time. I don't know if you've ever been there. <laughs> you know, but they were afraid and then happy and well, let's not tell anybody. Let's tell everybody. <laughs> and as they're on their way back, Jesus appears, Matthew tells us. And he just, this is what he says, rejoice. <laughs> that was the first thing he said, rejoice. So they came and they held him by the feet and worshiped him. And they said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Next week we'll look at their, their time with Jesus in Galilee. But Matthew also tells us at the same time that's happening in the garden, over where the soldiers ran off to, they went and they told the, um, the chief priest what had happened. The earthquake, the angel throwing the rock, sitting on the rock. They were so fearful like dead men that the elders and the chief priests consulted together and they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and bribed them saying, hey, tell him the disciples came at night on a covert operation and stole the body away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, Pontius Pilate's ears, we'll appease him and we'll make you secure. Don't worry, you won't be killed for this. So they took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews to this day. We talked about this on Easter, how one of the explanations of the empty tomb was that, well, the disciples stole the body. We talked about how the disciples were so 
terrified when Jesus was crucified that they denied Jesus and they ran off from Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They were terrified. And so the thought of them all of a sudden becoming brave and putting together a stealth, you know, ninja crew to jump into the garden and beat up a whole bunch of Navy SEAL Roman soldiers, you know, and then throw back the, you know, it's just, it's incomprehensible. And in fact, Mark or Matthew tells us that it's just a story that had always been told. It was made up. Verses 9 through 11 there in Luke chapter 24. So they returned from the tomb. On their way back, remember, they saw Jesus, they kissed his feet, they worshiped him, and they went back and they told these things to the eleven and to the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed like nonsense, or the words seemed like idle tales, and they did not believe them. I mean, this is crazy that these women come back and they're glowing from seeing Jesus and tear-stained faces and just, he's alive! Remember how he said he was going to be alive? And that the 11 disciples just shrugged their shoulders and said, get out of here, you know, get out of here. You're crazy. You're all crazy. All at the same time. You know, it's your old wives' tales. This is nonsense. All 11 of the disciples said that to these poor women. They were so excited and just trying, come, come look, come look for yourself. And it tells us that Peter, verse 12, but Peter, no doubt thinking, you know, just the emotions of having just denied Jesus and having just seen him crucified. Peter arose and ran to the tomb. John's gospel tells us that Peter and John both started running to the tomb, but Peter got a little slow, you know, kind of know him as a bigger guy, and John outran him and got to the tomb first. But when he got to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away, he paused outside, didn't know what to do. And here comes HuffPuff, you know, running behind him, and immediately HuffPuff runs into the tomb and stoops down and looks in. Okay, And John tells us that he saw the linen clothes lying there in the cocoon type state as the body of Jesus we know can walk through walls. No doubt he could just come through the cocoon. Now they buried the, the, from the neck, I'm sorry, they wrapped these linen burial ointment wrappings from the neck down and then they would just put a, a cloth over the face. And I love John's account because... He comes in and he sees the clothes lying there like a cocoon that had, you know, ran out of something inside of it. And just kind of, and it says, and the handkerchief that had been around Jesus's head was not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together and in a place by itself. You know, Jesus, Mr. Neat and Tidy, you know, oh, I just can't, can't leave this tomb with that linen like that, you know, and just kind of folds it in present. Well, might be reading into it a little too much. But Peter sees this stuff, and the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and when he saw the empty tomb, he believed, it says. He saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They didn't understand that scripture. And so this is kind of odd. John tells us that after that they just went to their own homes. Just not really knowing what they, he believed, but they still, ah, just such confusion. John also tells us that at the same time, Mary Magdalene came back. 
And she was weeping. And when she looked in the tomb, she saw the two angels all by herself. And they said, you know, who are you looking for? Why are you weeping? And she said, my Lord's been taken away. I don't know where they laid him. And when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she supposed him to be the gardener. And she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will carry him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabbani, which is to say teacher. And he said, don't cling to me, for I'm not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and to your God and to my God. So then Mary Magdalene went back and told the disciples that she'd seen the Lord. And that these things had been spoken to her. She just loved the different accounts of who all saw Jesus and what their reaction was. Verse 13 Here we read of the account of the the two on the road to Emmaus. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So these two guys, they're two of them, so they're two disciples, but they're not of the twelve. They're disciples that had been told about the resurrection, and at this point there's such confusion, they don't know what's going on, that they're just like, we're going home. (laughs) It's been a long weekend. We're going to go back home seven miles away from Jerusalem. As they're walking on the road, they talk about everything. Everything that had happened. The things that had been buzzing around the community. The things on the headlines. This conversation about Jesus that was on everybody's lips. What had happened during the crucifixion? Wasn't that crazy when Jesus shouted from the cross? Wasn't that crazy when he... It said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wasn't it amazing when the two thieves next to him were cursing him and mocking him, and then within ten minutes, or however long it was, one disciple decided to declare this Jesus to be his Lord, or one of these thieves declared Jesus to be Lord and said, Remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, you'll be with me in paradise. And no doubt, these guys are talking about everything. Think of your conversations after a big eventful weekend or something like that, and talking about what this person said and what that person said and what this guy did or she did or that great thing that you saw. Imagine what they were talking about. And the Bible tells us it was about a lot. These, they, there was a lot in their conversation. And it was during this animated discussion that they were joined by a stranger, verse 15. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near on the road. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So it doesn't say they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him, but it doesn't say that, okay? What it says is, that he kept them or restrained them from recognizing him. Of course, we think, didn't these guys know Jesus? Didn't they hang out with Jesus? How was it that they, you know, looked at him and didn't recognize him? I mean, I would recognize, you know, of course, you would recognize. No, they were kept by him from recognizing. And so it's a lesson to us. It's a word to us that we cannot see the risen Christ even though he's walking in our midst, unless he's willing to disclose himself to us. Some of us were raised in Christian homes in a major way. We know all the Bible songs, all the Bible verses. I know I was a youth pastor for eight years, and I had kids from Christian schools come to my, come to my youth group, and I just, the majority of them, unregenerate sinners. 
grew up in a Christian home, grew up in a Christian school, around the risen Savior. But then there comes a point in these people's lives, in most of them, that finally the Lord reveals himself to them as he is, as risen. And they go, whoa! The risen Lord! The stone that the builders has rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and it's a marvelous thing in our eyes. That's what seeing the risen Jesus is like. This is not seeing the risen Jesus. Grow up in a Christian home, grow up, go to a Christian school, you know, know the books of the Bible, you know, just religiosity. That's not what the Lord cares about. He wants us to have a revelation of him as resurrected. And man, my prayer is that today, those of you that have been around the church, or you come to Calvary County regularly, but it's just, that's not what it's supposed to be. It's to be a marvelous thing when you see the resurrected Jesus. And so these guys, you know, it's, it's kept to them for, for a little bit in who this man is that they're talking to. Their eyes were restrained in verse 16 and they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you had with one another as you walk and are sad? And the one whose name was Cleopas, and we read in earlier that Cleopas's wife was at the cross, answered and said to him, are you the only stranger around here in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things that are happening here in these days? He said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was going to be the Messiah, or that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since all these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. To be astounded is to be struck dumb with some sudden fear or terror. Even these guys were, we don't know what's going on. And when they did not find his body, they came saying they'd also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see. So basically what we have here is a common Sunday morning stroll where a stranger comes up and says, Hey guys, what's the word on the street today? Happens all the time in elevators and on buses. You know, this is what, this is, what is happening. But the irony here, get this, Jesus is talking to them, asking about what they're talking about, but they are talking to him, not knowing that they're talking to him about him. (laughs) There's so much, you know, these guys are with the guy that they've been talking about, but their eyes are not open. Who are you guys talking about? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. Interesting. You know? But notice that they just called Jesus in verse 19. We're talking to you about Jesus. He's a prophet, mighty in deed and in word before God and all the people. They're they're telling Jesus, our whole lives were turned upside down by this guy. Wonderful sermon preacher. Incredible miracles. Fish and loaves and people rising from the dead. But all of our hopes for liberation came down to a grinding halt three days ago when they crucified him. And now there's rumors and some people that we know said that, you know, he, he's risen from, or that the tomb is empty and we just, yeah, crazy stuff going on. 
And if I would have heard them in their little speech right here, I would have said, don't you see that all the stuff you're talking about is evidence that he's alive? And that's basically what Jesus does in verse 25. He says, foolish ones, you're slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the uh, scriptures, the things concerning himself. Man, I love verse 27. He basically right there on the road has an Old Testament survey Bible study time. And he shows them how from Adam and Eve in the garden, having to have an animal killed and the fur of it cover up their nakedness. It's a picture of me, Jesus dying to cover up your shame and your sin and your nakedness. And Abraham offering up Isaac on the Mount Moriah and Passover in Egypt and the temple, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem and the prophets, it all points to Jesus. It all points to me. It's all according to the scriptures from the Messiah coming and being a humble servant, born in, a, born in an inn, not being of you know, awesome appearance and features that you desire him because he's a hunk. You know, all of the prophets point towards him being who he is. And you might want to own chapter 24, verse 27. You might want to own that. Because when you read the Old Testament now, it's not about, oh, seven golden rings in the temple. Woohoo! You know, it's, it all points to Jesus and how he's going to die in, in his love and by his death and through his grace, you're going to be saved from your sins because he's the spotless lamb that's slain in the temple. It's him. It's all pointing to him. Exciting. Verse 28, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. Now keep at this point, they still don't know that it is Jesus. They're just like, wow, this guy's an incredible Bible teacher. Reminds me of somebody, but I can't think of who. And as they're drawing near to the village they're going, he's like, okay guys, I'm going to keep going. Got some more guys to talk about. I'm going to go meet the disciples in Galilee. And they constrained him and compelled him, saying, hey, stay with us. It's toward evening, and the day is far spent. Don't want to travel at night. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And then in typical Jesus fashion, he disappears. <laughs> this whole walk, seven miles, they're talking with this guy, they're having a hangout time, have dinner with the guy, and then, it's you, bing! <laughs> you know, <laughs> can we just get a solid answer around here? Um, you know, he just vanishes from their sight, and they said to one another, oh, did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. My heart burns within me when I read that verse about their hearts burning within them. Man, that's what I want our time in the word to be as we spend time with Jesus. That as the word is read and we hear about the resurrection and the empty tomb and the angels declaring his, his body being alive. That it's not and boring and can't wait till next Sunday. Wonder what he's going to teach next Sunday and what songs are we going to do. And oh, what? This afternoon we can spend time with the resurrected Jesus. Tomorrow we can have the resurrected Jesus go to work with us. We're going to see Jesus because he's alive and we're going to be with him forever. Do your, does your heart not burn within you when you hear the words? 
When you hear that, man, when he opened up Moses to these guys and he looked all through the Old Testament, he says, it's all me. It all points to me. I lose my breath. (laughs) Man, may the Lord take us beyond just ho-hum Christianity, lukewarmness. Jesus says to the early church in Revelation chapter 3, Laodicea, you're lukewarm. And I wish that you were just flat out cold and denied me. Or that you were full on hot and fervently on fire for me. But because you're this ho-hum, kind of like him, kind of don't, not going to deny him, but not going to live for him. Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because that is not loving Jesus. Loving Jesus is Joseph of Arimathea. Loving Jesus is Nicodemus. Loving Jesus is, you know what? I don't understand all the scriptures, but I'm praying that Jesus will reveal his word to me and I'm faithfully going to spend time in it. And as I do, my heart burns within me. We're going to close there and next week we're going to look more at the revelation of Jesus as resurrected. We're going to look at the ascension. We're going to look at John chapter 21 and the the Sea of Tiberias, beautiful scene there with Peter and Jesus and the disciples. Yeah, we've still got a lot in the Gospels to cover, probably another two or three weeks, and then we'll get into the book of Acts, and I cannot wait for the book of Acts. But Stuart, you can come on up. I know I I didn't technically go along, it was my sisters and my mom, so (laughs) what do you do? Can't, Can't kick your sisters off the stage. Let's put our stuff aside. Lord, today our hearts burn within us. Our hearts just are so excited. This one man, after the last service, ran home and got a book and brought it back and showed me in this book the reason for God. Just how these different gospel accounts in their detail prove the scriptures are real because in that day there was no such thing as a novel there was no such thing as uh, these types of details in the novel and and just an incredible exciting thing to know that these words are truth and that four different men wrote these accounts from their recollect from their memory and they remembered the stone being rolled they remembered the angel they remembered Mary's face as she talked about seeing Jesus alive And as Acts chapter 1 tells us, he was seen for over 40 days by many infallible proofs. And as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, he was seen by over 500 individuals at one moment. He's alive. Lord, you are alive. You are not dead. And we declare you to be alive in this place today. Lord, as you tell the woman... I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live. Do you believe this? Lord, I pray that in this place right now, there will be hearts that go from disbelief to belief. Right now, Lord. That they would believe God. They would even confess to you. I don't understand it. I don't fully understand it, Lord, but I believe. And as Pastor Rory preaches My heart burns within me. And I don't understand it all, but I know there's truth 
to the words that are spoken today. And I choose you, Jesus. If that's you today, choose Jesus right now. Maybe even just where you're at, just lift up your hand where you're at and choose Jesus. Say, Lord, I've denied you with my life. But today as Rory talks, I hear about the crucifixion. I hear about some man coming and prying you off of that cross. I hear about you being buried. And then I hear about you living again. I want that. I want you, Lord. You're the resurrection and the life. And I know I'm going to die, but Lord, you say I'll live. It's right now where you're at. Respond to Jesus. In your heart, say, Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of my life right now. Right now, I am making you my master. And it's with a joyful heart that I do so. You are my savior, saving me from my sins. And Lord, I need saving. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. And if you're declaring that in your heart to the Lord right now, the Bible tells us that he is just the first one to rise from the dead and that we too will rise from the dead. And we'll be with him in heaven. And we'll know him just like we know ourselves, And just like we know our family. We'll know him. We'll be with him. And maybe it was just a word of knowledge today from the Holy Spirit speaking about your life. That your Christianity is ho-hum. That your Christianity, all of your faith is just based upon being raised in a Christian home or maybe going to a Christian school. You know, just knowing all the songs and knowing all the verses and knowing all the right answers, but it's just ho-hum. And today Jesus has revealed himself to you. And maybe today, maybe even right now, you're, I'm still not seeing it, Rory. I'm still not seeing it. Ask right now. Ask that he would reveal himself. That you could have a resurrection experience and say, Aha! I see you. Now I know why that guy up on front is so crazy for you. Because I see you in the same way. And today we're going to worship Jesus as being alive. And I'm going to ask you to stand if you believe he's alive and if you've made him your Lord and you can do that right now you can stand and say I declare you to be alive Jesus I declare you to be my Lord I give it all to you if that's not your heart do not stand up don't lie to me don't lie to God don't lie to yourself don't lie to the church it's okay we still love you but don't stand but today just as if we were in that garden tomb 2,000 years ago Let's shout it out and worship him and declare him to be alive. Let's declare him to be Lord. Let's declare him to be God. Because he staked all of his claims in being God on the fact that he'd rise from the dead, which he did. So let's worship him for his lordship today. 
You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.